very concerned for our upcoming election because this voting machine is used in 18 different states and it's extremely easy to get admin access on this machine. Blah, 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 conspiracy theorist. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, in Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. And, of course, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. For your listening convenience on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Well, it was a good election day for so-called moderate Democrats in Hawaii over the weekend, where they held their uh, primary elections. Former Blue Dog Democrat Ed Case looks set to return to the House of Representatives after a 12-year absence following his victory in Saturday's crowded Democratic primary for Hawaii's first Of their two congressional districts, the moderate Democrats win in the heavily Democratic state runs counter to the leftward shift among many Democrats since the president since the election of President Donald Trump, says Chaz Danner over at New York uh, Magazine. Governor Daniel Ige, meanwhile, was able to hold off Representative Colleen Hanabusa in the uh, Democratic governor's primary, despite his administration facing criticism over their poor handling of last year's false nuclear missile alert and more recent eruption of the Kilauea volcano. Hanabusa vacated her House seat in order to run against Ige, but she came up nearly seven points short. Um, And uh, meanwhile, in the uh, midterm election cycle, which has seen a lot of candidates emerging from the left to challenge Republicans and even some Democrats in Congress, The victory for Case in the uh, first congressional House race uh, and a more moderate mindset definitely stands out, reports Danner. Case was an Iraq War supporting member of the Blue Dog Coalition, uh, which is a caucus of Democrats who are more fiscally conservative, to put it nicely, than the rest of the party. The once powerful coalition 
Danner notes, is now a shadow of its former self. Just uh, 14 members now in the Blue Dog Coalition. That is down from 54 members a little under a decade ago. Another candidate that uh, Case defeated was State Rep uh, Kaniella Ng, a Democratic Socialist who campaigned on single-payer health care and free college tuition. He also received some help on the campaign trail from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but he reportedly finished fourth at the polls on Saturday with just a little bit over 6% of the vote. Elsewhere in Blue Hawaii, they note Saturday's primaries went as expected with the popular congresswoman and Iraq war vet Tulsi Gabbard easily winning her re-election in her primary race and Maisie Hirono got the nod for another term in the U.S. Senate. They and Ige and Case are all expected to win their elections this November because Hawaii is so blue. At least they are expected to win. Anything could certainly happen. There were a few reports uh, so far of, um, of, of voting problems, though many more voters this year appear to have used absentee Ballots instead of uh, showing up at the polling place. There were some reports of unverifiable touchscreen voting systems failing on Election Day, as they do. I saw one voter quoted as complaining that he had to vote the way they did during World War II, as he put it, by using a pen to connect an arrow on a piece of paper. Uh, Stop complaining, dude. That's the best way that we have right now to optimize the chances of your vote being recorded as intended. And even that is no guarantee, as my guest, who is still in Vegas after the week's DEFCON voting village, uh, will likely underscore in just one moment. Uh, And just by way of a quick reminder, on Tuesday, voters are heading to the polls for statewide primaries in Connecticut, in Vermont, in Minnesota, and in Wisconsin. So we will have noteworthy results and problem reports, no doubt, thereafter. But as mentioned, the voting hacking village, according to its organizers, had an exciting three days at DEFCON 26 in Las Vegas this past weekend. DEFCON is the largest hacking conference in the world, bringing together a wide range of hackers, corporate IT professionals, policymakers, and others interested in computer security and related issues. The voting village at DEFCON, which made a huge splash in its debut last year when pretty much every voting system they made available to hackers was penetrated within minutes of opening its doors. Uh, That voting village is now in its second year and addresses election security issues by inviting attendees to study and identify vulnerabilities in election equipment used around the United States as well as other nations. Among the high-ranking elected and intelligence community officials attending this year was Rob Joyce, a senior leader at the NSA and a former Trump White House cyber czar. Joyce lauded the efforts of those uh, gathered there, saying in a statement published by the Voting Village organizers, quote, Believe me, there are people who are going to attempt to find flaws in those election machines, whether we do it here publicly or not. So I think it's much more important that we get out, look at those things and pull on it, he said. Not everyone was as delighted about the effort, including the nation's largest private voting machine company, the vendor named Election Software and Systems, Inc., 
They're uh, better known as ESNS. They supply about 40 percent of the voting, voter registration and vote tabulation systems to public election jurisdictions around the nation. The company sent an email to their election official customers just before the event warning them not to pay too much attention to whatever happens this year at DEFCON's voting village because they argued uh, the voting village ignores the physical security that the company imagines voting systems actually have when they're deployed around the country. They also made some vague legal threats against the longtime computer scientists and independent voting system experts who organized the event. For their part, the organizers responded in a statement saying that ESNS's unclear comments and threats toward the voting village seem to be designed to create questions and cast doubt in the minds of researchers and election officials, discouraging them from pursuing these vital lines of inquiry. The organizers said at a time when there is significant concern about the integrity of our election system, the public needs now more than ever to know that election equipment has been rigorously evaluated and that vulnerabilities are not just being swept under the rug. Well, over the course of the uh, three days, thousands of hackers, over uh, 100 election officials and about 50 children helped to identify and exploit various vulnerabilities within the election ecosystem. The voting village was dramatically expanded this year after the huge splash it made last year, bringing so many of the security warnings we have been yelling and screaming about for about 15 years to a much broader uh, audience that was finally recognized by many in the corporate media. The expansions this year included not only more voting machines, but also end-to-end voting infrastructure, including a voter registration database and election results reporting websites. This year's Voting Village featured hands-on experience with at least nine different types of voting equipment, including voting machines, electronic poll book systems, and election-related security appliances, almost all of which are in use in elections today and will once again be used for the crucial 2018 midterms across the country. The Voting Village had participants find or replicate vulnerabilities ranging from passwords stored on the machines with no encryption at all to buffer overflows in critical input uh, routines, which can essentially scramble data in in any manner of ways uh, which may or may not be noticed by election officials and private vendors who program and service these machines. Specific hacks that participants were able to pull off this year include hacking a voting machine to play GIFs and music, the discovery of almost 2,000 files, including MP3s of Chinese pop songs hidden among the operating system files of one uh, uh, voting machine, hacking a uh, mock election so that an unlisted candidate received the most votes, hacking an email ballot so that the recorded vote was different from what was selected and emailed, and an 11-year-old hacking An 11-year-old child hacked a replica Secretary of State website within 10 minutes. Helping out last year at DEF CON in a big way to get the word out about what was discovered at the 2017 Voting Village was filmmaker and journalist Lulu Freistat, 
whose short video on what happened last year at the convention has gone viral um, at least several times by my count between last year and this year's event. And, of course, she was on hand again over the weekend in Las Vegas for all the festivities and, in fact, joins us now, still in Vegas. She has not yet been able to escape. Lulu Freistat is an an Edward R. Murrow award-winning journalist and documentary filmmaker. She received a Best Documentary Award for her first feature-length documentary, Hollerback, Not Voting in an American Town, a film that explores systemic issues in our elections that discourage voter participation. And yes, by way of full disclosure, I happen to appear in that documentary, but it is a very good one anyway. She has produced election coverage for MSNBC, edited for the CBS Evening News and Good Morning America, and joins us from time to time, I'm happy to say, right here on the broadcast. Lulu Freistad, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brad. I know it has been a very hot and chaotic weekend for you, so uh, thanks for taking time for us here. I want to get into some of the most disturbing revelations from the weekend, but one of the noteworthy developments, it seems to me, is how big of a deal this event has become. Uh, By the way, thanks in no small part to your excellent work last year helping to get the word out. But this year, it seems like there were a lot more folks there, not just hackers, but election officials, folks from the Intel community, the U.S. Intel community. Uh, At least that's my read from afar. Am I right about that? Uh, How have things changed from last year to this? You're you're absolutely right, Brad. So what's really great about this year's DEF CON is that we are starting to see a collaboration and communication between three groups that really have been working more as silos previously, and that is election officials, Mm -hmm. uh, security experts, and hackers. And so it was very deliberate on the part of the organizers, Jake Braun and Hari Hursty and Matt Blaze, uh, to really try to bring those three groups together because their understanding, and I think it's an accurate understanding, is that we're not going to make progress on this issue unless these three groups start communicating with each other. And they really went about it in a, in a brilliant way. So um, I talked to Jake. I'm going to have a piece on this, a video piece, and I encourage mm-hmm. people, if you can, follow me on Twitter, at Lulu Freistat, mm-hmm. so I can keep you updated about where you can find this. I shot a lot of footage, so you'll actually be able to see the things that I'm talking about, listen to the interviews. I shot great interviews, like one uh, sort of along these lines about the communication starting to happen. So I shot a, a long, extended conversation between Dwight Shellman, mm-hmm. who is the county mm-hmm. manager in Colorado, where they just finished implementing risk-limiting audits. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long haul there. It's taken them, they started around 2011 on that. And uh, he had a conversation with David uh, Jefferson, uh, I think I have that right, David Jefferson from uh, Verified Voting. Mm-hmm. And David went through the things that happened there at the con, the hacks they were able to do, and you know, and, he, and Dwight was able to comment, well, you know, this impacts me this way, or, you know, we're not worried about that because we're using this equipment and we're taking these precautions. And it was really a great kind of back and forth with them saying, these, with, with David saying, here are the vulnerabilities, and Dwight saying, well, this is what we're doing about that. And because Colorado is really, I'd say, leading the charge in terms of trying to secure its elections, you could really hear in the course of that conversation what is necessary layers and layers and layers of of security and awareness and um, precautions and then going back and you know with audits then checking the results in case something has been something has gone wrong in case there's been a 
problem with the machine or the results have been compromised, doing those risk-limiting audits. So you can really see how much work it takes in order for for us to get to a place where we will have confidence in the results. And, and what this was was a beginning conversation. So like what Jake said to me, and Jake has been in security for a long time, mm-hmm. he said when the aeronautics industry started thinking about security seriously, groups, organizations like Lockheed Martin, mm-hmm. he said it took them 30 years to really get to the end point where they really had things locked down. And he said the election community is in year two of that <laughs> arc. Well, you know, uh, let me just jump in, uh, Lulu, to, to note... Um, <laughs> Yes, it would take a while to actually figure this out, figure out this security. When it comes to the, you know, the aeronautics and when to airplanes, you you kind of need the computers. The question is, do we need them here? All of these layers and layers of complexity that we add, each and every layer, also adds a a, a vector for attack, for manipulation, for simple programming error. And I know you mentioned uh, Dwight Shellman, who sort of uh, runs the elections in Colorado. Uh, he's very engaged with the system, uh, but I think, I know I've gotten into it with him uh, on Twitter, I think you might have as well, Lulu, um, where he sort of dismisses the idea that this should be less complicated rather than more so, less complicated, meaning hand-marked paper ballots, hopefully publicly counted by human beings. Isn't there a risk here that you know, the more we look at this from a, uh, a a computer side of things that, you know, we're going to continue looking for computer answers to things that maybe don't need to be answered with computers, Lulu. I understand where you're coming from, Brad. And I think a lot of people in the election security community over the years have had a real desire to see things move to a simpler place in terms of computerized elections. But the more I look at it, the more I see that this is really, we, I think we have to be realistic about what U.S. elections are. U.S. elections are complex. There are many, many candidates on mm-hmm. the ballot. There are lots of referendums. You guys out there in California have those 60 referendum ballots. These are not the same elections that they have in the Netherlands, where they're basically voting for one candidate. They're voting for the parliamentary candidate. And and you can count those more simply by hand. Mm-hmm. And even in Germany, where I understand they are counting somewhat more complex ballots, it doesn't really, there, there isn't really a comparable situation to what's going on here in the U.S. And so I think what's really important, one thing that I've really stressed is that we don't have a one-size-fits-all solution for this. Every county is going to have to have some different solutions. What we have are principles, and I think the principles remain the same. The principles are, yes, every Every voter who can mark a ballot by hand needs to mark a ballot by hand. And and security experts across the board are really starting to say that openly and publicly. Good. Good. I mean, because even if we don't get to even if we don't uh, get to hand counting, at least uh, a ballot can be, you know, a paper. We need a paper ballot hand marked. Uh, for every voter, unless, of course, you're a disabled voter, you choose an assisted device, that's fine. But for everyone else, we need to have a hand-marked paper ballot in order to know that it actually reflects the intent of the voter. And I'm worried that a lot of these new systems that they're uh, buying with all of this new money now coming in, uh, you know, 300 or something million was allocated by the uh, by Congress recently. I'm worried that they're going to go to uh, many jurisdictions, and in fact, are going to these computer printed 
touchscreen systems uh, and calling them paper ballots when they're just computer marked ballots that, you know, we don't know if they reflect the intent of the voter. But let me not get sidetracked yeah, if I can help a, it. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. That is a real problem. The new equipment coming in is a real problem, especially yeah. the express vote that was on this disastrous election in Kansas. Yeah. Uh, so, and I'm very concerned about the system that LA is developing yeah. with the QR code. So I, there, in, and maybe you'll have me back and we can have a conversation about those because I have a lot of information about mm-hmm. the barcodes, the vulnerabilities. I've had great conversations with Rich DeMillo, mm-hmm. who is uh, researching this at yep. Georgia Tech, and I interviewed him and talked to him at DEF CON. And one of the things, actually, that Rich said to me, what we looked at, and I want to get to some of the specific hacks. Yeah. So Rich and I looked at the ESNS 650 scanner, and this is a scanner that is in use all over the country. Mm-hmm. I, look, I looked at verified voting. It's in use in 24 states. And yep. you're talking about major swing states, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio. These are states that all use this 650 and have used it for years. And it's a, it's a big scanner that counts a lot of ballots fast. It's usually used to process absentee ballots, mm-hmm. provisional ballots. So these are thousands and thousands of ballots that are being counted by these machines in thousands of jurisdictions all over the country. And one of the, I mean, and multiple people were able to penetrate this machine at DEF CON. So one of the hackers that I filmed, Stephen Crane, he went in there on the back. He took the back off. He hooked up his computer to this um, ribbon cable that's running off the back and took complete control of the machine. And Rich DeMillo, who is a security expert from Georgia Tech, looked at it, and he said, yeah, the guy's got complete control of the machine, and he can change the election results if he wants with no problem. And what Stephen said is that he needs about one-minute access to this machine, unsupervised, to do this. And then that's it. He's put his – it's basically what he – it's a little different than malware, but what he called it was reprogramming the machine. And then he said, I go home and just sit back and watch the results. And this is an optical scan machine. This is what everybody is saying we need to go to. Mm -hmm. They're saying these are the reliable machines. But this machine, the ESNS 650, as it turns out, I went back and researched it um, based on uh, information that that hackers and researchers at the con gave me. Mm -hmm. And the ESNS 650, the security vulnerabilities of this machine were exposed in 2007 when the Everest report came out. So the Everest report had already that was the just just to clarify that was uh, an analysis that was done in the state of Ohio uh, with then Democratic Secretary of State Jennifer Brunner and uh, a bunch of uh, corporate security outlets who came in and and looked at all the systems that were used in uh, Ohio and found problem with the ESNS M650 as well as all of the other systems they used. But yes, please continue. So let me, I just want to read you a few choice lines from this report, mm-hmm. the Everest report that came out in 2007 about that Model 650 scanner that is in use all over the country. Yep. So on, I'm, this is from the Everest report, on boot, and this is a different hack, actually. There are multiple ways to hack this machine. So mm-hmm. Stephen Crane had hacked this ribbon out the back. This is a different hack that involves uh, planting firmware through the zip disk. Do you right. remember zip disk? Yep, sure do. Yeah. Still okay. have still still have some Zip of them disk. around here. Yeah. I think I do too. Okay, yeah. this machine runs on zip disk. So, here's from the Everest report. On boot, the M650 checks for the presence of a firmware update disk. That's the zip. Right. If these files exist 
and their reported version number does not match the currently installed firmware version, the installer located on the zip disk is executed. So basically what that means, and the, and the machine doesn't check for anything on that disk. It doesn't check if it's a foreign disk, what its source is, what its software is. The only thing it checks, it checks the name of the zip disk file, firmware file, file, and it checks its own firmware file. And if its file is different than the one on the zip disk, it goes, whoa. I better take this. This yeah. is new. Yeah, apparently. And it downloads it. Yeah, all <laughs> you all, all you and need to is, do is name the file update, and that will literally take everything on the zip disk and put it on on over the whatever is existing on the uh, 650. Okay, so this is again from the report. There's three file names that apparently you need. Any person with knowledge of these three file names and approximately three minutes of unmonitored access to the M650 can replace all software on the machine with malware. And that software will then, you know, run a program on the machine to count those ballots mm-hmm. differently than they than the voter intended that they be counted. And this is what we're talking about over and over and over again. People keep asking the question, can the election results be changed? Can they be manipulated? And, and the, the security industry has really backed off in terms of, like, DHS. They say... I mean, what they have said, their statement is, we didn't look at that. We didn't look. Right. And so the, the standard line has been, well, as far as we know, no votes were changed. But that's because no one looked. <laughs> and when you get in there and look, could it be done? The answer over and over and over again is yes. It could be done. Election it, results could be manipulated. It, we, and is it difficult? No, it is a piece of cake. Which, yeah, I mean, that's what we've been trying to say. I know you've been trying to say that. I've been certainly trying to say this for well over a decade now. And it's interesting that, uh, I mean, to me, it's a silly question. Could, you know, everything that you and I know at this point, Lulu, could the results be changed? Of course they can. A better question is, were they changed? Were they changed, for example, in 2016? And I'm glad you mentioned that and DHS because Jeanette Manfra, uh, who is, I think, the assistant deputy uh, 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 secretary for the Department of Homeland Security, she had testified. We've talked about it over the past year on this show. She testified last year, July, I want to say, of 2017 in the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee to say, Well, we don't know because we never bothered to look at the machines, to forensically test the machines, to actually count any ballots from the 2016 presidential election to see if they were tabulated correctly. She, Jeanette Manfra, she was at the uh, voting village uh, at DEFCON over the weekend. Did Did anybody press her on why, if they are so concerned about these vulnerabilities, that the DHS did not check any machines from 2016? Well, they have, she didn't answer that question, no. They have said in their official statements that that's not their purview, basically. That's not their job to check voting machines. Their job is to protect and secure the equipment from attack, but they don't consider themselves an investigative unit. And so... Who's, whose job is it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not yeah, disagreeing is, with you. I just don't... I who's, would be, yeah. It would be the FBI's job, most likely, I think. But I I mean, I think... <laughs> they, they seem to have their hands full right now. Yeah, um, so that's true. I don't know that they're going to start um, 
start looking at voting machines. But actually, let me just um, transition here, because that's yeah. a great lead-in to the conversation that I had with Karsten Schurman. And he is an election researcher from, uh, I believe he's from Denmark. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is actually exactly what he's doing. So I had some pretty great conversations with him about that, and I'd love to tell you a little bit about that sure. and what he found. Okay. So what Carson Sherman was the researcher who was able to penetrate the win vote last year. Take This was a, a wireless voting machine that was decertified finally in 2013, I believe. Uh, it had been used in Virginia for mm-hmm. uh, many, many years yep. and had had many elections on it. Um, and had a hard-coded and, password, A, B, C, D, E. Right. Yep. <laughs> he <ran> in unison. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so Karsten was able to take control of that machine in varying lengths of time, depending on who you talk to. They, they said 90 minutes, but I just watched a video where he said 60 minutes of that he was giving a talk. So mm. he only really took him 30 minutes. Got it. <laughs> so anyway, he's a, he's a very smart guy and very concerned about elections. And so what he's been doing this year is actually he gathered up eight win-vote machines from various sources, and he's been doing forensic research on them. And he told me some pretty interesting things about them. And one in particular, there was an election, a gubernatorial election from 2013, where he was able to identify that some sort of information was changed. And it's very hard for him to say exactly what was changed. It did not look to him like election results were changed. But what it looked like, actually, was that some sort of program had been performed during the election that day. And because he's actually going back and doing forensic research, he's able to pull all of this data off of the machine, and he can tell what the date was. He knows, you know, that it's an election day. He's able to see what time of day, where in the process it was. Mm -hmm. So he was able to see that something happened. He couldn't tell what. He said possibly the machine crashed and... uh, it was rebooted. There was some sort of a, there was an ex- executable file run during the election on that machine during the day. Mm. And the, there's files on the machine that say that they were changed. They literally have a little indication, file changed, file changed that day during the election. Wow. So what this tells us is that we, probably that we need to be doing more of this forensic research because we can find things out. We don't know what happened. On that day, he said, most likely it's something innocent, like the machine crashed and mm-hmm. someone tried to reboot it or someone accidentally put a card in to reboot it without meaning to. Who knows? Um, but what it does tell us is that, you know, there there is activity on these machines while elections are taking place. And it would be smart to go through maybe as part of a standard check after an election and start doing forensic research and seeing what happened to this machine during the course of the day. It would be good to know. Yeah, well, here's the problem, and I've got just another minute or two, uh, Lulu, but, uh, you know, we don't check these machines, as you can tell, we don't check these machines before the election. And the notion that someone is going to go back and do forensic tests of these systems after the election is done, uh, you know, potentially throwing an election into chaos. I mean, that election in 2013, you said it was on win vote, so I'm going to guess it was up in Virginia where they do do off-year elections. Um, You know, something like that, if they discover it, that could put the entire election in jeopardy in question. 
They don't want to know. Election officials, I have found, don't want to know if there is a problem after an election. And uh, apparently neither do security officials because DHS, you know, says, you know, they never bothered to check after one of the most stunning presidential election results in American history in 2016. Uh, Lulu, and all of this brings up another point, uh, Lulu. Jeff uh, Kossef. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the impetus is going to come from somewhere else. I mean, because candidates do want to know, and voters want to know. So maybe this goes back to public records requests. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe this is, you know... uh Maybe this is a citizen initiative that people have to push in terms of getting access to these files in the same way that people are pushing to get access to the ballot image files. So, the, you know, the digital ballot image files. But th- there are people, and I think in particular candidates and voters, who are interested in this information. Oh, I think we're all interested, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, the practicalities of doing it, this is why, uh, you know, I'm concerned about computer solutions that make things still more complicated rather than finding ways to simplify this entire mess and it's not that i want to you know go luddite on on elections here i just in 15 years of working on this i can't find any other way to do it uh lulu let me let me just uh, get in another question or two uh okay. a- along these lines jeff kosseff the cybersecurity law professor uh said the real question is he was talking about the uh, defcon voting village the real question is will state election officials listen and i'm wondering did you get any sense to me the real question is not will they listen but even if they do you know what can they do about it did you get any sense speaking with elected officials uh and election officials who were there that they are finally getting it after so many years that uh, you and i have both been covering this and uh, finding these officials in complete denial that there is any problem at all. Are they less in denial right now first? Uh, do they admit they have a problem? And then we can talk about whether these local election officials can really stop any of these types of attacks, even if they do care. <laughs> yes, there is a sea change happening. We, you really could feel it. And there, this year, there was an entire panel of election officials, whereas last year, almost none of them actually came or, or wanted people to know that they were there. There was an official panel where they spoke. And one of the, one of the election officials, Alex Padilla, said very vocally, this is a problem and we need help. We need resources. And he made a very, very assertive demand to Congress. He said, we need money every year for this, not once every 15 years. Give us the support we need to do our job. So you really do, at least the officials who are there and starting to participate are saying, yes, we're concerned and we need support in order to address this. Now, there are thousands of election officials all over the country who are still dragging their feet. You look at states like Georgia and they, mm-hmm. you know, they are doing everything they can to stay in a basically unauthenticated election protocol. Yep. But um, so, so it is a wide spectrum. And um, I spoke with Kim Zeter. I had a great interview with her, and she pointed it out. She said, you know, this is really a wide spectrum of, of attitudes, and we really have to make sure that we're bringing everybody along. But one of the things I do want to point out, the DEF CON organizers, they did something that no one else in the official you know, in, in official government circles has done before, as far as I know, they sent actual snail mail outreach to, I think, 6,600 election officials. Every jurisdiction in the country they contacted, and then they did about 3,000 follow-up phone calls to really do great outreach and say, mm-hmm. hey, we want you here. We're here to help you. We're here to train you. We're here to help you get through this and protect the elections in the way they need to be protected. So, 
it's very clear that the that the organizers of DEFCON want to be um, positively interacting with election officials, and you can see that 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 is starting to happen. You're starting to have those three groups, election officials, hackers, and security experts working together cooperatively to solve these problems. And that was very exciting. There's no question the uh, DEF CON organizers are absolute heroes, including uh, Matt Blaze and, and our friend Harry Hursty, who I absolutely adore and have known him for uh, also for over a decade. His accent is so thick, he is not, uh, <laughs> I can't bring him on the radio, which drives me nuts. But other than that, uh, he's great. But uh, last uh, thought here, uh, Lulu, uh, you, you are one of the handful of people who has been covering this issue just about as long as I have. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you sound a little bit more optimistic than I. Maybe I'm too jaded at this point. If the best we have is uh, you mentioned Alex Padilla, Democratic uh, Secretary of State out here in California. You know, he has been working hard over the past couple of years to end federal certification of voting systems in California. He succeeded in that. He has been pushing for this touchscreen, unverifiable touchscreen system in uh, Los Angeles, which is coming soon. And so, you know, when he's pushing for more money, again, I have to go back to I'm not sure money is the solution. To me, it feels like common sense is the solution. So I'm a little worried if guys like Alex Padilla are uh, the best of the election officials out there. <laughs> I got to wonder how where everyone else is at this point. Well, I I, ha I spent a lot of time with Dwight Shellman and I watched him go through the process and talk to him about what they're doing in Colorado. And I think we really need to look to Colorado. I think they're leading the way. They are they they have already done the statewide risk limiting audit. They're moving toward countywide and even municipal risk limiting audits. They're trying to patch some of the gaps that I've pointed out in their system. Mm -hmm. The main one that I'm concerned about is that the elections that they're auditing right now are not being chosen randomly. They're yep. being chosen by the Secretary of State. And so that does um, allow for, uh, that's another way to game the system. If the Secretary of State decided there was an election, perhaps his or her own election, yes. that that they wanted to protect, then they could just make sure, you know, their election didn't get audited. But they are moving to try to address that. I was told that it is a concern. And uh, I think that Colorado is a good template that the other states can look to. What I heard from everyone at the conference in every one of those three communities is audits, 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 audits. Yeah. That is what I heard. Well, audits. I, and paper mark, hand marked paper ballots. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad you heard the hand marked paper ballots. As to the audits, can, uh, color me uh, dubious and skeptical about real audits actually happening. And as a matter of fact, the point that you made, I think I recall what appears to have been some sort of a late night, maybe drunken uh, Twitter fight that <laughs> I got pulled into with Dwight. With Dwight Shellman, when he he called you stupid, and then he started going after me, uh, Lulu. So I don't know if those are the best ones we got out there. I'm even more worried than when I started this segment. But I'm glad you're optimistic, Lulu. We'll definitely have you back anytime. Always love talking to you uh, about uh, additional stuff as all of this moves forward, Lulu. I got to get to a break, and I know you got to get home okay. and the hell out of Vegas. Yeah. Uh, so thank you Listen, so yeah. I, I do need Thank you for having me. I do need to shout out my GoFundMe. It cost me a lot to come out here. Good. I haven't even broken even yet. So please, if please, please, if you, if anyone out there, if mm -hmm. you like 
getting this information. If you want me to continue my work, please go to my GoFundMe. Just search GoFundMe for Lulu Freistat and Defcon, and you will see um, you'll see my campaign there. I really need your support. I really need help continuing my work. Um, and uh, thanks to you, Brad, for everything you're doing to get the word out. Please. You can, people can follow me on Twitter, at Lulu Freistat. You can get on my email list, hollerbackfilm.com. That's my film. Hollerback is my phrase for democracy. And uh, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. And thank you for uh, giving all of those addresses that I was about to give so I don't have to. Go ch- do check her out. You, her last name is spelled Freistat, at, like fr- French fries, F R I E S. D-A-T, Lulu Freistat. Follow her on Twitter. Uh, and yes, please help uh, continue f- to fund her so she can do her important work. Thanks, Lulu. Always great talking to you. Hope to do it again soon. Thanks so much, Brad. Bye. You bet. Okay, I wanted to take a quick break, and we'll come back with some of the specifics <laughs> are just amazing from what happened over the weekend at DEFCON's Voting Village. Above and beyond what Lulu was talking about there, we'll try to run through some of those and get to whatever else we can today on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Little black box where your little boat goes Down and down the memory hole Oh, where, oh, where did your little boat go? Nobody knows Nobody knows Little black box Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, will a day come when I don't have to talk about this stuff at all anymore? Will that <laughs> ever happen? I have no idea. I don't expect that it ever will. My mom no. says I should, however, get you a t-shirt that says, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, you know, I don't have much uh, optimism, frankly, even after talking to uh, Lulu about what went on at the voting village. When you hear, you know, guys like Dwight Shellman and Alexander Padilla, that the that they're the election officials who are leading the way. Oy. And they're still uh, leading the way to more computers. But, yeah, yep. it takes time. It takes let, time. Let me hit some of the uh, just some of the, the some of the bullet points that the uh, voting village organizers put out. Uh, I was following this over the weekend, day one, day two, day three, because I think they will blow your mind. Even if you are not a computer expert or voting machine expert, they certainly blew my mind. Okay, 50 kids from ages 6 through 17, they had an event for children at DEF CON this year. So 50 kids from ages 6 through 17 attempted to hack replicas of the Secretary of State websites from six swing states. 35 kids, 35 of those 50, were able to complete an exploit. These are replicas of existing Secretary of State websites. The quickest exploit was done by an 11-year-old in 10 minutes. 
10 minutes for an 11 year old of any sex, uh, frankly, of any age at this point. It's pretty remarkable. Is really remarkable, is really disturbing. We know that uh, what the DHS is willing to say is after the 2016 election is that election sites like that, secretaries of state's websites and so forth, were in fact targeted. If they were targeted, I suspect they were hit. If they weren't hit, they ought to hire this 11-year-old little girl to do it uh, in 2018, in November. <sighs> Kids tampered with vote tallies, party names, candidate names, etc. Total vote counts were changed to numbers like 12 billion. On the websites. Correct. And candidate names were changed to things like Bob DeBuilder and <laughs> Richard Nixon's head. Okay. One kid changed the candidates to Kim Jong-un and gave him a billion votes. At least they have a good sense of humor. Other hacks changed Donald Trump to Tunneled Trump. So this is the sort of thing that children were able to do in minutes time without, you know, tons and tons of money. We always hear, oh, we have to watch out for these nation state actors like Russia because they pour all of this money and all of this time into the... Apparently, you don't need much money and you need, you know, about 10 minutes to make these changes. Uh, so that was the kids. Way to go, kids. Um, the uh, Diebold TSX AccuVote uh, machine, that's the touchscreen uh, similar to the ones that are still used across the entire state of Georgia and other states. Those systems were found to be running on expired security certificates from 2013, which make, makes the machines vulnerable to any vulnerabilities cat that have been cataloged since then in those machines. So even if they updated a security certificate back in 2013, we've learned a lot about the vulnerabilities of those systems in the past five years, and those systems would still be vulnerable to hackers who could exploit those vulnerabilities. Um, Diebold machine locks, they note, which we've known this now for many years, are also easily hackable. Uh, one was uh, had complained that they couldn't they didn't have the, the keys to open it. So they used a big pen to do it instead. That's computer security. A hacker was able to reprogram a Diebold TSX to play GIFs and music files on another AccuVote. A hacker once uh, getting inside the machine was able to gain full administrative access. This took the hacker 30 seconds, the organizers say. But that's because he was familiar with the machine. Uh, and, of course, a lot of people are familiar with those machines. You can buy them on eBay. Become familiar with them and take 30 seconds to get full administrative access to those systems. Poll machine, uh, poll book machines, such as the Express Poll 5000. These are electronic poll books. They were found to be vulnerable to having their easily accessible memory cards removed from the top of the machine and replaced with a market-purchased copy preloaded with alternative voting poll information on the card. So that means that voters that attempt to vote at a polling place could find they are no longer in the precinct records or other voters could be added to those precinct records who could then vote in that polling place. The hack can easily be performed by a voter within five seconds using a distraction or by a poll worker who has access to all of those machines. Remember, some of those machines are 
given to poll workers and uh, brought home overnight on sleepovers before they are then deployed the next day at the polling place. Others are deployed to the polling place and then just sit there for days before the election starts. Uh, the uh, It was found that the Express Poll 5000 also keeps supervisor passwords on those cards, and they are listed, the passwords, in plain text. These poll book machines also keep personal records for all voters, including the last four of uh, the Social Security numbers, addresses, driver's license numbers. And that information is completely unencoded. Everything that you would need to steal someone's identity is on these cards that you can swap out and replace with your own and... Oh, not just steal their identity, but also make it impossible for them to vote on Election Day by sending them to the wrong place or just taking them off the rolls altogether. Uh, And as to the uh, passwords being on those cards, it was discovered that the root password and administrative password, those are stored in the device, not encoded, but in clear text. That's on purpose. That's nuts. But are you ready for what the root password is? We talked about with Lulu that on the WinVote machines, it's ABCDE. On these systems, the root password, and you might have to write this down to remember it, the root password is password. Oh, my. The organizers note, however, that the real uh, security failure here is the fact that they are in clear text on the machine. So even if they have changed it from the default password... Uh, Whatever they change it to would be sitting there in clear text if you can get access to just one of these systems. Um, ESNS, vote counter machines, the kind used by counties to count ballots, paper ballots from municipalities, were found to have active Ethernet ports, exposing them to a number of vulnerabilities. And, uh, well, the M650 that Lulu was talking about there, uh, the hacker in in one of these cases had never seen the machine before the day that uh, they went into the voting village and discovered uh, very quickly that if you just remove the back panel, you can take complete control of the machine, as she noted, and uh, simply replace the zip drive, as she noted, with a different one, with alternate software, and that there is no check Once that uh, machine is powered up, finds that zip drive in there, it just loads whatever's on there. It does not check to make sure that the software is real, is genuine. So you can use a corrupted version of the software, which will not only corrupt the machine, but uh, when you insert that uh, zip disk, the machine um, can then infect that zip disk, which then can be inserted into other machines and spread a virus that way, which is cool, huh? And this vulnerability was discovered years ago, as Lulu noted, but it was not published. Part of this was not published. This is one of the issues with these machines that were redacted from the Everest report and some of these other uh, independent security analyses that happen over the years. Security by obscurity, as they call it. But that only means that if you find out about that uh, vulnerability and you don't fix it, you just hope that the obscurity saves you, then, um, well, then you're really screwed. Uh, Let's see. We got some other. um, There was, uh, oh, there was an election that was hosted by Alex Halderman of the University of Michigan. He used to be at Princeton when... uh, I was among some folks who got a the very first of those Diebold touchscreen machines to the independent 
uh, analysts over at Princeton. Back then, man, it was a cloak and dagger deal that we had to do to get that machine to them. Back when, you know, nobody was allowed to look at those machines. Now they're, like I say, they sell them on eBay. In any event, so they hosted an election on one of these machines. Voters at the conference were given two choices of candidates to vote for, one being George Washington and the other being Benedict Arnold. There were 133 ballots cast, and the winner was a candidate by the name of The Dark Tangent. Uh, a third candidate who was not even on the ballot at all and somehow managed to receive 61 votes to uh, 26 each for Arnold and Washington. That hack was done on an AccuVote TSX, and that uh, system is used in some 18 states, some with the same software version that was used at, uh, at uh, uh, DEF CON. There was another uh, system that was found to have uh, master image files uh, of the software, which runs uh, Windows XP and for some reason included a Chinese pop, pop song by an artist known as Cascada Dangerous. The song was called Love You, in case you're wondering. No one knows why that m song was on this computer. Uh, there were also files related to a music playing program called Cool Player, which appears to be a Chinese... Uh, piece of software. The hacker found that there are non-Windows programs on the machine for some reason, in addition to Cool Player, one being some program called Kicker, whose purpose is unknown, but it demonstrates that external programs can easily be uploaded to these machines. And remember, these machines were from actual elections, from uh, counties around the, uh, around the country where they were getting rid of the machines, upgrading, moving to different systems. So these were used in actual elections. All right, one more. I know got to get to a break here. Did uh, Lulu mention that email ballot that was hacked? I can't no. remember if she did or not. Yeah, the selection of, uh, of a candidate was changed on an email ballot. We hear this all the time, that why can't we vote via email? Why can't we vote via mobile phone? Well, in this case, they set up a, a mock email election, and uh, in fact, the candidate's name was changed. The ballot left the sender uh, who cast their vote via email. It was not hacked until it was received by the receiver. The hackers hacked uh, the message, changing the candidate selection on that ballot. This was all done in two hours from when the first command was written to do this until the final execution. The organizers, organizers know this is a big deal for the real world because we already allow for email balloting in special cases for Americans who are living overseas and for military overseas. This is now allowed in 30 states plus Washington, D.C. And yes, those email ballots can be changed and the voter will have no idea and neither will the county once they receive the ballot that has already had the candidates changed. That is just some of the uh, all-new nightmares we discovered once again at this year's DEFCON's, DEFCON Voting Village. And by the way, our midterm elections are now less than three months away. Quick break, and we're back with a little bit more on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi, about a week or so ago, I uh, kind of went off on one of my rants about yes. uh, the problem is that we need we don't need more money for our voting systems. We don't need new computers. We need more people. We need more public oversight. Right. Uh, well, I had uh, someone heard that rant and they have turned that rant into a poem of sorts oh. that rhymes. And I don't have much time. So let me just uh, read what they wrote. This comes from Matt in Fontana, California. Thank you very much, Matt. Sent it to bradcast at bradblog.com. <clears throat> he says, uh, the government won't save us. The Congress won't protect us. The White House isn't yet in friendly hands. Money will not solve it. The people must resolve it until again there's freedom in our land. Tell this to your family. Tell this to your friends and to the neighbors till they understand. The thought up for adoption, we are the only option. We are now the only chance at hand. We can't count on the Congress. We can't count on the White House. Which party doesn't matter anymore? We won't get any traction until we take up action. We are the ones we've been waiting for. He adds, throw people at the problem. Let's get to work, people. No more waiting. So uh, I think that's roughly based on, uh, and much shorter probably than the rant that well, I uh, I'll threw just say, at this issue. Yeah. Very well said, Matt. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt and Fontana. You can drop me email as well if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always great to hear from you. Uh, even if I can't always answer back, I do try to. You can also find and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, journalist Lulu Freistat of HollerbackFilm.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Missed any portion of this show? You can download it and all of our other shows anytime for free at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who help keep us going, you're the only ones, by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We rely on you to stay on our public airwaves as long as we can here, at least through the November election, so thanks in advance for your help. bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>